we actually call our motivation and place what we're about to do very squarely within the context of being of service to all beings. And so when we, we think of monastic life, it's not just for my Dharma practice, for my liberation, for my well-being. But it's to transform our our own mind so that we can be more effective in working for the welfare of others and specifically to attain full enlightenment where we will have all of the good qualities develop limitlessly which makes working for the welfare of others very spontaneous and easy so we're aiming for that and doing what we're doing right now is a way of creating the causes for full enlightenment. Yesterday we we're talking about um, the six harmonies and we got through three of them so I thought we would uh, continue with the other three today but before we did that I wanted to make some uh, general comments about ordination and precepts that I think might be quite helpful um, first of all that, that community life and spiritual practice are related okay and so our spiritual practice is it's not like spiritual practice it's just what happens in our own head on the cushion and community life is another ball game but those two things are very much related and one of the things that that helps to relate them is the precepts because the precepts help us in our own spiritual practice by making us more aware of our intentions and the mental actions that feed the verbal and physical actions which are actually the verbal and physical ones what the, what the Pradimoksha vows um, govern so precepts relate to our spiritual practice and then they also relate to how, do we, how we live together as a community and how we act to each other and when you get into studying the, the precepts of the fully ordained people so many of the precepts are just about how we relate to each other yeah and, uh, and other precepts are about how we get our four requisites how do we get food, clothing, shelter and medicine how do we use them the precepts you know talk very much about daily life because daily life is the field in which our spiritual practice is manifested you know, and in which we mm, can, can watch what's going on in our body, speech and mind so that when we sit down on the meditation cushion we know what we need to work on okay. second thing that it's important to understand is that um, we choose to be ordained it's done totally voluntarily nobody forces us nobody makes us you know and so uh, it's done completely because we wish to 
And when we go to our teacher to request, we do just that. We request. We don't demand. Okay? We request. Uh, And it's done, like I said, voluntarily. So to have, to make it really voluntarily, we have to have a correct understanding of the function of precepts and what precepts are. And I think this is quite important for people who were raised in other religions where there were commandments, okay? Because a commandment and a precept are very different, okay? A commandment was set up by some absolute being, yeah? That just made these commandments. And this absolute being has the power to punish us if we break his commandments or to reward us if we fulfill the commandments so our job is you know it's it's very strong like you know the system's already organized and it's put on top of us and then we have to work with that whereas precepts they weren't created arbitrarily they were all created due to certain situations Now, for the first 12 years, I believe it was, there were no precepts. The Buddha just ordained people and there were no precepts. And then what happened is people started doing things that other people found objectionable. And so when people complained to the Buddha about what his disciples were doing, then he created precepts to regulate and govern the conduct of of his ordained disciples. So all the precepts were created due to certain certain circumstances and they you know the Buddha is not an absolute creator yeah and so but he did set these down in response to living circumstances that happened to living beings within a culture particular culture particular economic social historic you know social system at a particular historical time okay and um so the precepts are designed to help us train our mind and the Buddha does not reward us for keeping the precepts or punish us for not keeping them okay. so very very different from commandments also with a commandment you don't have a choice you know the absolute being gave you this commandment and you've got to follow it Whereas with precepts, we are doing it entirely voluntarily because we see the benefit in it. Mm -hmm. So I think understanding this is important because sometimes our minds get really tight and we say, I don't want to do this. I don't don't like this discipline. I don't like this precept. And it's very helpful to remember at those times, wait a minute. I took this voluntarily because I saw some benefit in it. Yeah? And I took it because it's going going to help me train my mind. Yeah? And so, I think a very good way to see precepts, you know, don't see them as commandments and rules that are being imposed on you. Because that just drives my mind really bonkers. But see them as trainings and as supports to help you not do what you've already decided you don't want to do. Okay? 
So there's supports to help you not do what you've already decided that you don't want to do, but that you may not have the inner strength to not do if you're left on your own. Okay? And so that's the whole idea of taking the precepts voluntarily because we really see the wisdom in them. You know, if you really want to go out and kill and steal and lie and have sex and, you know, and do business and handle money and do this and that and go to entertainment and all these things, then don't take the precepts because, the, you know, you want to do the things that the precepts are saying don't do. So why take them if you don't want to do them? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, so... Um, you, you want to take the precepts because really you've, you've decided you don't want to do it. Yeah? Now, sometimes in our wisdom we can see, oh, like the one about alcohol and intoxicants. We can see with our wisdom, I really don't want to do this. But we also know that sometimes our mind gets influenced by other people or we get unhappy and we have an old habit or something can come up. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves drinking or drugging. So we take the precept to help us, you know, and to act as that dam, as that barrier, you know, to keep us from drinking and drugging because we've already decided we don't want to, but we know that sometimes we're weak in keeping that. Getting what I'm saying? Yeah? So don't, don't see it as, you know, the Buddha said, thou shalt not sing, dance, play music, or watch entertainment because it's evil. You know, that's not what is going on in Buddha Dharma, okay? But rather, if you sing, dance, play music, and watch entertainment, when you sit down to meditate, what is going through your mind? Yeah? What you just sang, danced, and watched. Yeah, it's all right there. And you will find when you do retreat that even you didn't sing, dance, and watch entertainment recently, you will remember things from 20, 30 years ago. Um, what was it? Somebody was telling me, Tens and Chucky, a horse is a horse, of course, of course, you know, came up in her meditation. And then the, what is it, the ants are marching two by two? Remember that? Somebody else told me that came up in their meditation. So, and you will remember jingles from, from um, uh, commercials that you watched as a kid and uh, replay episodes of uh, Star Trek or, you know, I Love Lucy or whatever people watch nowadays. Um, and you begin to see, wait a minute, I don't really want to do this in my meditation I want to do something else with my mind in meditation so why am I making meditation difficult for myself by exposing myself to all this entertainment that just makes meditation hard you know I'm trying to really improve myself through my meditation practice so let's stop shooting myself in the foot yeah so you see with your own experience and examination that these things are not conducive there's something else that is more important that you want to do in your life, which is develop your spiritual practice for the benefit of sentient beings. Okay? And so then, when you have that clarity, then, okay, I really don't want to do this stuff, so I won't, 
and sometimes you know my mind is weak so I need a precept I need some support and help because if I promise not to do this in front of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas you know I mean the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are the most important ones in my life and so I should try and keep my promise yeah and actually it's a promise to myself now of course sometimes you get in situations where for one reason or another for example in terms of the the entertainment one when I go to visit my parents the TV is on all the time okay if I want to spend time with my parents I have to sit in front of the TV with them the reality of how the household works so I sit there and whenever there are commercials on I say please turn down the volume and then we sit and talk you know and so then we talk and talk uh, until they realize that the program is back on I never say go back I don't say let's go back to the program but you know okay so in that kind of situation I'm doing that for a specific reason Believe me, I do not want to watch that TV. I would much rather sit and have a plain conversation without all that stuff going on. But this is just the way that the house is, so I have to go along with it. Okay? So there's situations like that where we, um, you know, may not keep the exact dictates of the precept but we try to keep the the purpose of it you know I mean I am trying not to distract myself or to increase my ego by doing that you know that kind of thing okay so if you you really think of the precepts as your friends and not as rules and commandments that are being imposed on you involuntarily then you'll really Uh, flourish by having the precepts because you feel like wow I'm I'm so protected you know they're they're incredible protection from the mind that just you know goes crazy sometimes Um, when people take precepts if if people reach to a point where they really feel I don't want to be ordained anymore they can give the precepts back it's not recommended to do that you certainly don't want to set up a habit for many lifetimes of doing that but if somebody gets in a situation where they feel they really can't keep them or their mind is too tense or whatever you know it's not like the Catholic Church where you have to write to Rome and get permission to do it you just you know say that that you're giving them back yeah another thing about returning the precepts if you take the time and make a good foundation then you don't ever get to the point in your practice where you want to return them and if you're learning the Dharma and really putting it into practice then the Dharma the Lama meditations and so forth will really help you manage the mental afflictions that come up that say oh you know I I don't want to be ordained anymore you know so uh, it really comes back to to integrating the Dharma in your life and working with your mind Uh, in the Vinaya the Vinaya is the monastic uh, code of discipline there are some things which are prohibited Uh, you know most of the precepts are prohibitive precepts 
Um, but there are other things that are prescribed. In other words, certain things that the Buddha tells us we should do. For example, our, our twice a month um, confession and restoration. That's a, a precept. That's something we should do. Okay, so there's prohibited, pre- pre- prohibitive instructions and then also prescriptive instructions. Um, it's important in terms of the precepts themselves to learn the stories governing the establishment of the precepts because like I said each one is established because of a different situation that happened and if you study the Vinaya you'll see there was an original story and then people often would keep the precept as the Buddha established it and then some other situation would happen and then Buddha would have to further define exactly what keeping that precept meant it was like yeah, you, you, you don't do this, except in this situation or that situation, it's okay to. Because, you know, certain situations happened, and so the Buddha more clearly defined what it meant. It's also important to study the stories of the precepts, because sometimes just reading the precept itself, you don't automatically know why the Buddha set it up, or what aspect of our mind the Buddha was getting at or trying to, to tame. Uh, and a, a very good example of this is, um, well, I'll give two examples. One is, there's one of the, the bhikshuni precepts that is, the bhikshuni should not eat garlic. Okay? So then you go, why can't you eat garlic? What's wrong with garlic? It's medicinal in the West. No, no, no. Actually, the story behind it was that there was one bhikshuni who had gone to a family's house uh, for alms, and they gave her alms, and the the family owned a garlic field. And so they they said to this bhikshuni, uh, you know, you're welcome to come back at some time and take some garlic, uh, you know, from from our field. And if you want to bring some other bhikshunis with you, you know, that's fine. So this bhikshuni, you know, then she told all of her friends. She had a lot of friends, I guess. And they all came back to, the, um, to this householder's garlic field. The householder wasn't there to, to look and supervise. So they picked all this garlic, because they picked garlic not only for themselves, but for their other friends who weren't there, and for this one and that one and the other one. And so when the... The, the farmer came home, his whole field was bare. Okay? So then the Buddha heard about this, because clearly the farmer wasn't very happy. And so the Buddha said in the precepts that the bhikshuni should not eat garlic. Now, does the precept have anything to do with garlic? The purpose of the precept? No. You know, the purpose of the precept has to do with being greedy. Uh-huh. So, you know, what you want to, if you're going to really keep that precept, then you want to make sure that if somebody offers you something, yeah, that you don't take advantage of that offer and you aren't greedy and take, you know, something that's actually going to harm the person that is making the offering to you. Yeah. Uh, there is another um, precept. This one, um, the action was done by some monks. They were bathing, and uh, you know, in ancient India, you bathed in the 
in the pools outdoors and so there were a bunch of monks bathing and they just spent all day in, in the pond you know bathing and playing in the water and splashing water and massaging their bodies and anyway the king I think it was King Bimbasara he had come to take a bath in the pool but out of respect for the monks you know he was waiting until they finished in order to take a bath well the monks stayed in the water so long that by the time the king bathed and got back to the town the city gates were closed and he couldn't get back to his palace yeah. so the Buddha heard about this I mean, the king wasn't very happy so the Buddha set, made a precept that said monastics should only bathe twice a month okay I think it's twice a month not twice a fortnight no, twice a month so okay now what would happen if we all bathed twice a month yeah not so good yeah wasn't that precept really about not bathing or was the precept about not playing around when you don't need to be playing around yeah because they were just playing around having a good time so the, the thing that was the Buddha was actually trying to regulate was people wasting a lot of time playing around and being inconsiderate of somebody else who might need to use the bathing pool so that's why he said you know you can't not supposed to bathe more than twice a month but you know nowadays because of the society you know we, we bathe hopefully more than twice a month okay and so when you're doing that you don't need you, you know you, you think okay I'm just going in and out of the shower and that's it and I'm not playing around it's not a long shower staying under the hot water so that other people who are waiting outdoors you know outside can't get in and I'm just sitting there lounging in the shower in the bathtub and no you know you're in and you're out and other people can use it and you bathe simply because that's part of the the thing about cleanliness and sanitation in our culture okay so for certain precepts like this where you don't keep them literally then uh, you know in your mind you ask the Buddha's permission so you can you know kind of explain uh, you know on your posada days when you're doing your confession remember those specific ones that you can't keep exactly as they are and just request the Buddha's permission and uh, you know and kind of own up that I didn't keep to the exact letter of the law but this is why for example we have another precept that you're not supposed to ride in a vehicle now if we didn't ride in vehicles how do you go someplace to attend teachings or how do you go someplace to teach other living beings yeah. nowadays that's quite hard vehicles are like really part of our culture and it's no big deal at the time of the Buddha vehicles were either pulled by human beings or by animals so there was duress on other sentient beings who were pulling you know the animals were being whipped the people were you know exhausted uh, pulling the rickshaws so one was you know to prevent the abuse of of anybody who was pulling the the transportation 
And a second thing was to prevent arrogance because at the time of the Buddha, it was only very, very wealthy people who had any transport. You know, carriages and carts and these things were not widely available to everybody. So if you were riding in a vehicle, you often, you know, were pretty, you know, it was very easy to get kind of puffed up about yourself and think you're something. So nowadays, you know, if we're going to keep, keep to the spirit of that precept, you know, well, okay, we need to ride in vehicles for specific purposes. We don't go just cruising around here and there for the sake of riding in a vehicle because we have nothing to do. We, we try and organize our shopping. Like here at the Abbey, we organize things. So when you go into town, you do many things all at once instead of one trip for, you know, every little task. So it makes you think before you do things and organize your time well. And then also, um, you know, you try not to get arrogant when you're riding in a car. Now, if, if sometimes somebody picks you up and they have, uh, you know, a BMW or some expensive kind of car, then you, there might be the, the tendency to get a little bit puffed up and think that you're somebody. In which case, if there's an option, definitely sit in a simpler car. You know, don't sit in an expensive car. I can't tell one car from another. You know, I can tell a red car in it from a yellow car, and that's about it. So I guess I'm kind of fortunate in that way, you know. Expensive car, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but if you have that tendency to get proud because you're riding in a certain kind of vehicle, then better you know, to accept rides from people who don't have expensive cars, yeah, or not to, to sit in the place in the car where everybody's going to see you, you know, you're in the front seat waving to everybody as you go by because you want them to know that you're being driven around in a car by, you know, somebody who's quite rich. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you try and keep to the spirit of the precept, even though in our culture, in our time, uh, we may not be able to keep to the exact letter of it. Okay? So there's, you know, many different precepts like that. The, the thing I think that's good about having a community is that then we all figure out what those precepts are together and set our own boundaries on them. Because if left to the individual, then people often, you know, have no boundaries. And so, uh, you know, some of the touchier precepts regarding that are the ones around money and buying and selling things. Okay? Um, I was actually going to talk about this under the, the harmony and welfare, but it's actually come up here too, so it, it comes up in many situations. So there's one of our precepts, not to handle money. Yeah, not to... Uh, it says gold and silver. Yeah, but what it means is money. Um, so not to handle money or possess money and not to buy things or sell things and not to barter things. Okay, so it completely cuts you out of commerce. Now, what's the purpose for, for all of these? Yeah. Well, if, if you handle money, what are you going to do with it? You're going to buy stuff, aren't you? Okay. When you buy stuff, is it easy to control your attachment or difficult? Difficult. Okay. 
So we need some help in controlling our attachment. If we don't handle the money directly, we can't just have a thought in the mind pop up of, I want this, and then we go out and get it. Which is what we usually do, isn't it? Especially when you're living in a city. You know, I think it's a really good practice. Keep, keep some tabs. You know, when you go back to the city after you leave here, um, keep some tabs. Each day, what do you buy? Do you ever go one day without buying anything? Yeah? Or are you always buying something? And what's going on in your mind when you're buying things? Okay, we got lattes, we get espressos, we get, you know, orange juice, we get this, we get that, we get the other thing. Always a little bit here, a little bit there, and then we don't have any money. Yeah? Everybody's saying, oh, I don't have any money. But we always have money to go out and buy stuff, don't we? And we have lots of clothes, but we always have enough money to go out and buy some new clothes. Because the thought enters the mind, oh, I want that. You know, or everybody else has it. Or it'll look so good on me. Or I'll be dressed like everybody else and they'll like me. Or I'll fit in. Or I'm in this well, certain kind of social group and a certain kind of job and this is expected of me. So I need to get these clothes. And then there we are, and we're buying this and that and the other thing, and the money is completely gone. And then we sing our poor sad song, Oh, I can't do any meditation retreat because I don't have any money. You know? But actually, we had a lot of money. We just spent it on things that we didn't really need. Okay? So with these precepts governing the handling of money and buying and selling, it really is, you know, it makes you quite aware of of all the impulses in the mind that say, this will definitely bring me happiness if I buy it. And this is what our culture, what the business is, what our, our government wants us to do. They want us to consume because... It's good for the economy, but it's not good for the mind, and it's not good for the world's resources. Okay? So it, it's quite interesting, this one, with, with regarding money, and different Buddhist traditions handle it in different ways, because the Buddha, you know, when he set it down, it was like no gold and silver. Okay? So this also includes, you know, when you go to somebody's house and they, they give you um, silverware, yeah, because the mind can get really kind of uppity, isn't it? I'm eating with real silverware, not just kind of this plastic spoons, but, you know, I'm worthwhile, I'm important, it's made out of silver. Or, you know, we want to have, have silver um, uh, this, or you know, all these things they get you for wedding presents that are made out of silver. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, you just don't handle any of that kind of stuff, any kind of precious metal or, or whatever. Um, and it includes also jewelry, unless you find somebody's jewelry, and then uh, you can keep it in order to return it to them. Or there are certain situations where if you're in a dangerous situation, where you can hold jewelry, you know, if you're escaping somewhere or something like that, can 
keep the jewelry so you have some support after you leave. Um, okay, but you know each tradition because at the time of the Buddha, there, people didn't use money a lot, just a little bit. But now money is in such common usage in, in our society that it becomes actually quite hard not to use money. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, usually, for example, in the Tibetan tradition, then it, you know, there's no governing thing about it. And, you know, even at, at pujas, when, when people are making offerings to the monastic, they will make money offerings. Um, sometimes we say that, that they put, that you accept it with your, your, hand, your robe like this so you're not touching it, or the donor slips it kind of under your, your seat cover. But still, the basic point is you're still accepting it. Okay, that's just some kind of reminder to your mind. But, um, and so you, you see, you know, many people just handling money, monastics handling money and getting this and that and, and everything. And I've watched what happens when people can spend their own money. And, you know, the mind just says, oh, my suitcase has a little crack in it under the on the inside I'm going to go out and buy another one yeah or my my shoes are a little bit worn down I'm going to go out and buy some more or I wanted this I wanted that and and so it just leaves the mind open for this whole you know of I want I need I want I need and you know as we know there's never any end to any of that okay so here at the Abbey the way we do it you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why we don't buy our own food, okay, is that, you know, because food is one of the things where an idea pops in the mind and we immediately want to fulfill what it is we want to eat, okay? So if we don't buy food, then we watch that, that desire to eat something come up and you watch it fade away, you know? And instead of running out and, you know, getting your latte or your this or that, you know, you just watch it come up and it goes down and you get on and you live perfectly well. Okay. We also make ourselves dependent on others and, and um, you know, by eating only the food that's offering it, offered to us. And that, so that helps us remember others' kindness. But it's a, a big practice in not being attached. Mm-hmm. Um and we also similarly, you know, really, we, we will go out and buy things for the monastery as a whole. But like when I was talking yesterday about people having their own private money, you know, that's for, for medicine and, you know, health insurance and travel. But it's not for, well, I'm in town on community business and I've been dying for a, a chocolate milkshake, so I'm going to get one. Or... You know, I really needed this or that, and while I'm in town, I'm going to get it. Um, you know, but it, it really uh, helps you be, be very careful about those kinds of things. Yeah? So at first, it, you know, uh, it might seem to people like, oh, I have no freedom. Yeah? I can't even go out and buy what I want. But then you have to ask yourself, what is freedom? Is buying what you want when you want it, freedom? Or aren't you at that point, you know, under the slavery of attachment? Okay, so is it freedom to, be, to buy what you want or is it freedom from attachment? 
you know what what does freedom really mean and so not uh, you know doing our best not to handle money there are situations in which we handle money here at the Abbey Um, but doing our best not to do it and similarly not buying things for our own personal self online if we have to order anything online it's for the community but we don't kind of go online and oh I wanted this and I wanted that and you know do it online when nobody's looking because they've all gone to sleep and you know uh, because because we're all trying to we realize that, that slavery is you know attachment is, is really slavery so it's very good for cultivating um, contentment you know and when we need something yeah then we really ask ourselves do I need this or do I want it yeah and then if we need it then there's you know when the abbey gets bigger we will have a storekeeper that's one of the positions in the monastery and then when you need something you go to the storekeeper and because and, usually the monastery has stocks of different things and say I, I need some more socks or I need an umbrella or whatever it is uh, and then the storekeeper if they assess that you actually do need it then we give you from the monastery stock okay or sometimes it might be that uh, a lay follower will offer you something yeah but we don't ask lay people to buy us things unless they have made a previous offer so if somebody has said if you ever need clothes tell me then later you know if you still have the feeling that that person still that offer is still good then you can go to them if you need a pair of shoes or whatever and say you said before if I needed this I could ask you and now I do need that okay but for somebody who hasn't offered you can't just go up and say you know uh, by the way could you get me this and then this and this and this and that and that and the other thing and you know for winter I really want uh, a maroon scarf and I want it actually this particular shade of maroon and um, it should be really soft and it should be made out of this material and it should be exactly this length and it should have matching gloves you know this is not what you do okay (laughs) so if sometimes you may have to give some guidelines because you don't want them to get you something that you're not going to use so if somebody is offered to get you shoes you tell them your shoe size you know so that they don't get something you know or somebody says if you need socks and you say yes and then you say maroon or brown you know because we don't wear white socks okay something like that so sometimes we do give some you know some boundaries within or the person may ask us more particular you know um, I think when lay people do ask us it's, it's, it's good to, to keep our needs on the simple side you know and if they say you know uh, what kind of sweater do you want and then not think of the most expensive kind that you could possibly get but you know select a material that, that is you know simple and yet functional because the important thing is, is to you know to get the things that we have be really functional and then we should use them until they wear out yeah and if you look at the Chinese nuns sometimes if you look at the, the back of their collars they're frayed and because they really wear their robes until they're really you know pretty worn out and so it's just a way of 
respecting others' generosity in, instead of being demanding. Okay? Um, yeah, and then the whole thing about buying and selling. Okay, so regulating our buying of things, yeah. But then if you sell things, then it's so easy as a monastic to get into doing business. And then your mind is always thinking, how can I make the most money? And nowadays, you know, you do find some monasteries that do business. I mean, Catholic monasteries, you know, where do, where do all the fruit come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes in the West, people will say, oh, well, at the Abbey, you know, are you going to start a business? Because they have this image of a Catholic monastery where you have a community business and, you know, and you do that. And then we have to say, you know, I know some Dharma centers do that, some monasteries do that, but here at the Abbey, we're not going to have a business, okay? Because I think, you know, I just noticed it's too easy for the mind to get into how can I make the most profit for them, even if it's for the monastery business, we want to make the most profit for it, yeah? And so that kind of fits in also with why at the Abbey we don't charge for anything. Yeah, everything's done on Donna basis. Yeah. And so for example, although you all there was a set amount of Donna that you all gave, your Donna was not paying for you to come here. Yeah. Your Donna was offering so that everybody who came here could participate in the program. Okay? Because we figure we want our lives to be lives of generosity because then we accumulate the good karma from giving and then if people see value in what we're doing and they give back to us they create good karma if we charge you know for things uh, events here then it's just business and nobody creates any merit from it okay it's a difficult thing we're always kind of negotiating this because uh, you know at the beginning for example we didn't ask for deposits for weekend retreats and then what happened is people would sign up and then they wouldn't show up and, you know, their places went to waste. You know, other people could have come, but we had turned people away because we thought those beds were going to be filled. So then the way we dealt with it is, okay, people have to send in a deposit and if you want your deposit back, we'll give it back to you. You know, so we do, we do things like that. Same with the tele-teachings. You know, we've had the... Um, the prostrations from afar and we were registering lines for 30 people because there were 30 people in the program and then the people at the the free conference call service were not very happy with us because five or six people would turn out for the call so then we had to institute this thing of people giving deposits for the tele-teachings you know but again if those people want their deposits back we'll send them back if they want to offer them as Donna they can do that if they want to send more money as Donna offering they can do that but we just had to regulate it somehow so that we didn't run into trouble with the you know an abuse of free conference call privilege so there's you know all sorts of because of adjustments that we have to do regarding money um, because of, of the society we live in and the Buddhist society these were not issues at the time yeah you know because money was, was not in big use um, similarly, at the, at the Buddhist time, I mean, we don't have any precepts about, uh, you know, cell phones and computers and 
blackberries and you know all these little wismos and gizmos that people have so one could think well there's no there's no precepts regarding these so I can just get all these you know if lay followers want to donate all these these wismo gizmos and computer this and high tech this and that and the other thing and you know well they're offering and there's no precepts against it so I'll just get all these things one could say that and think well I'm literally keeping the precepts but you know when I think about it it seems to me that you know the, the whole, one of the main threads of the precepts is, is to reduce our attachment and develop contentment and to ask ourselves do, what, do we really need you know do we really need the small computer like this that we put in our bag and do we need the medium sized one and do we need the big one and do we need the blackberry plus the phone plus the this plus the that you know and because we can see with regard to technology again our greed is like it just increases and increases yeah and so here at the Abbey then again you know we just have different rules about computers and things like that and we don't have our own private cell phones and we should probably get one for the Abbey's use just in case when people are in the car in case they run into trouble they'll have something to use but none of the residents should have their own private cell phones you know because why do we need it yeah. I'm sure you can think of some reasons <laughs> but if you really think a little bit harder we all did live before there were all these different things so if we need some things for the work we're doing the Dharma work we're doing or Abbey work for something that helps the whole monastery then that's fine but to have our own private this or that and so similar with computers I think it's much better um, you know all the computers at the Abbey are owned by the Abbey and different people may have the habit of using one computer over the other but we should have the mind that this is not my computer yeah, they're only, they're, the computers that belong to the Abbey because as monastics we're actually only allowed to have a handful of objects that we consider ours okay so our lower robe our upper robe our outer robe yeah, a needle and thread in case something tears a, um, a strainer so you can strain water and get the bugs out yeah, because in ancient times that's what you needed you needed a bathing cloth yeah and then there's you know several other kinds of you know your bowl yeah so there's several other just practical items and these are the only ones that, that you're allowed to have um, you aren't even allowed actually to have two sets of robes you're only supposed to have one set so that makes washing your clothes a little bit difficult so we usually have you know another set but what we do is we think that you know we have one that one robe that is our robe and then we think this other one you know I will share it with somebody else who needs it or I will give it away at a later date or some you know somehow we think this robe is not mine yeah and so you don't start stockpiling you know five lower robes and you know a wardrobe of, of donkas this, this one's called the donka a wardrobe of donkas and you know ten underskirts and no you know you just have very bare minimum in terms of clothes and 
you know, including socks, and we don't need, you know, gazillions of sweaters. You know, you have a couple that you use during the winter and whatever you need for different temperatures. But, you know, our closet shouldn't be filled with, you know, sweaters from here to here and, you know, tons of shoes. We aren't Imelda Marcos. And, uh, you know, so, so just remembering the, the thing of simplicity. Hmm? Yeah. So this hits at the mind that says, the more I have, the happier I am. Doesn't it? Yeah. Because that mind is total fallacy. Because at the time we, we die, we have to separate from all of it. So the more you have, then the more you have to separate from, and the more you're attached to. Nance was, was saying that uh, she's been cleaning out some of her stuff in preparation for her ordination, and she's come across different things that she had even forgotten she had and hadn't looked at in years and all of a sudden you see it and oh I remember this I remember that this was you know the doorknob touched by my my great aunt Ethel you know the only thing that I have remaining to, uh, to remind me of her you know who knows what I mean our mind can get attached to anything yeah and so the more kind of memorabilia we have of our own lives, then at the time of death, my goodness, the more we have to, to you know, if we see any of that while we're dying, woo, attachment comes up so quickly. Or if you have a lot of stuff, then when you're dying, you have to think, oh, who am I going to give it all to? Or you're dying and you're thinking, oh, I've saved all this stuff. Now I'm going to be gone and other people are going to look at it. All my hidden secret things, you know, that I've never wanted anybody to see that I've been stockpiling. They've all, they're going to go through my closets and see that I have, you know, a collection of of antique telephones. Or, you know, (laughs) something and I mean, just imagine the distress that your mind could fall into at the time you're dying because of this kind of attachment to things. So it's much better just, you know, live simply and have fewer possessions. Okay. Um, what else I wanted to mention? Um, yeah, another thing is that when we ordain, it's good to, to learn the Vinaya, you know, before we ordain and right after we ordain because the Vinaya is very practical and it relates to our life and it helps us really train our mind. The Tibetans have this joke because in, the, in their uh, Geshe training study, you know, they start out with um, collected topics and mindedness function and reasoning and logic and, and then they study the Prajnaparamita and the... Uh, the middle way view and the Pramavadika and the um, at the Abhidharma and at the end they do the Vinaya, the monastic discipline. And so there's the story of, of one monk who, you know, kind of did all the study and by the time he got to study the Vinaya he said, When I was newly ordained, I had the precepts but I didn't have the Vinaya and now that I have the Vinaya I don't have the precepts anymore 
Okay. Because he had not known the precepts and therefore had transgressed them. So it's very helpful to to know the precepts and the boundaries of transgressing them. Um, you know, and to learn those early on and to study them and then to learn general etiquette uh, as well because the etiquette is very much a, a mindfulness practice. Uh, you know, like, like for example, part, part of our thing when, when we eat food, we're supposed to eat silently. We're not supposed to chomp our food and slurp and make noise. We're not supposed to take our food. Because in India, they ate with their hands, make it into little balls and pop it in our mouth. Um, you know, we're supposed to... We don't do that anyway. But what it translates into in our culture is we should eat, you know, very silently. We should eat mindfully. We shouldn't be like uh, a starving dog with a piece of meat that just goes... <laughs> you know and inhale their food you know uh, we have a precept not to look in other people's bowls to see what they've taken you know checking out oh what do you have oh you took more no wonder I don't have so many uh, you know um, we have precepts when, when people are giving us food you know you try if, if people are doing things not to cover your rice with vegetables or not to cover your vegetables with rice the idea being that if you're on alms round and let's say I like let's say I like vegetables, so I have vegetables, then I cover it with rice. Then the next person thinks, oh, she doesn't have any vegetables. I'm going to give her more vegetables. Okay, so it's actually a branch of the lying precept. Okay, because you're trying to deceive and get get something for yourself. Um, Okay, so there's all sorts of different things, you know. If people give you an offering for one purpose, you have to use it for that purpose. You can't use it for another purpose unless you go back to to that person and ask their permission to do that. So there's all sorts of, of you know, precepts governing how we use the practical things in our life that, that uh, you know, make us very, very attentive to things. Now, I guess I should probably get on with the last three. <laughs> but before I do, are there any questions so far? Yeah. Uh, 